Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Christ-centered preaching, passionate worship, fervent prayer, courageous evangelism, purposeful disciple-making. May God enable us by His Spirit to live out these distinctives for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I'm so, we are so glad to worship together this morning. Do you just feel that in the room? God, by His Spirit, just a desire for worship, desire for his word. So thankful to be able to meet this morning and open God's word. So let's go together in our Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, we are going to look at the closing summary of this chapter, verses 28 through 31. The title of today's message is The Church on Mission. And you, the video that just played are five distinctives the values that we hold to from Scripture that we highlight through Christ-centered preaching, courageous evangelism, purposeful disciple-making. These, these are core values that we hold to because we see these in Scripture. And uh, from our passage this morning, we will see uh, these, these truths just unfolding as we look at this, this summary statement from the life of Paul. Now, currently, we, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and we've just finished the seven letters from Jesus Christ to his church. Some churches in particular stand out, like Smyrna and Philadelphia. They were faithful to Christ. They were faithful on mission, despite persecution and suffering. So this morning, we're going to look at, now from a different passage, kind of the same central truth. How, we're going to consider this morning how to stay faithful and on mission for Christ. Uh, just a little bit of a summary, uh, where, uh, where, where do we get to from this point in Acts 28? Well, Paul has finished his third missionary journey. He was arrested in Jerusalem. He had been put on trial. He appealed to Caesar to get a, let, he needs Caesar to hear his case. He goes on a sailing journey, was caught in a storm, shipwrecked on, on the island of Malta. We looked at that a few months ago. He remained there for three months was then rescued and delivered to Rome. This is where we will meet Paul in our verses this morning. Uh, follow along with me, Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 28. Paul, he's speaking, and this is what he says. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray as we, as we begin this morning. Father in heaven, you are glorious. You are so good. Just to, to be with your church, the, this is your plan. Your plan to bring the gospel to all nations is your church. So Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, speak through me, through your spirit, through your word, to remind us of the gospel, how good you are, that we would build our lives on Christ and that you would use us on mission for your glory. We love you and we worship you and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we, we see in our text this, this, this summary statement, uh, verses 28 to 31, is one of six summary statements that Luke uses throughout his account. Uh, the, the aim of this message is to answer the question, how does a church stay on mission for Christ? How does a church stay on mission for Christ? Well, let's just look at where Paul begins. And we, uh, First point, we are motivated by grace. We're motivated by grace, and we see this in verse 28. Paul says, he, he starts with this summary, Therefore, let it be known. It's a royal pronouncement. Paul wanted everyone to know there's good news to be heard here. What is this good news? Well, he tells us the salvation of God is available. It's ready, ready for you today. It's ready to be sent out. To the Gentiles, we believe that the salvation of God has come, come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. There's only one way for us to be saved, only one name. There's only one person by which we can have our sin forgiven and be given eternal life. That's through Jesus Christ. This is God's great salvation to sinners like me and like you, and it has come to us. Think about it. We are not Jews. We are Gentiles. We're in this other category. And God's salvation has been brought to us through Christ. And here's a message I'm telling you. God's salvation is available today for all peoples. This is the good news. It's God's great salvation Paul says this salvation has been sent. This word sent is the same word, same Greek word used to refer to an apostle, a, a sent one. In this case, it's uh, not a person. It's, it's referring to a message. This good news has been sent. So in other words, what Paul is saying is, this message of salvation start off for the Jews first, and now it's making its way to the Gentiles, to all peoples. And this is Paul's missionary plan. It is going to be delivered to all nations. In other words, our God is a missionary God. God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And then God sends his people to be disciple makers, to be church planters, to be those who share the good news, help others to follow Jesus Christ among all peoples. Paul says this salvation has been sent. That means God's saving focus is now on the church. It's on all peoples. Jesus and, and Paul followed this pattern of first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. So what does this mean for us? 
It means that the nations are ready. Paul says they will listen. So think about this incredible promise. Paul says that there are Gentiles, all other nations, they are ready to receive the gospel, ready to hear it and respond to it rightly. And this is this contrast, and uh, Paul goes to this with some Jews earlier on in the chapter. You can, you can look back at that, that he brings the good news to them, and they reject the message. They refuse to listen. So Paul says, guys, I want you to know the good news, it's going to the nations. They will listen. The Jews didn't want to listen to the gospel, and then at this moment, still they refused to come to Christ. The Gentiles, however, are ready ready to listen and respond to the message. And the, this word listen means to understand or comprehend. Uh, now, uh, we all know there's a difference between hearing and listening. All the parents in the room should be nodding their heads. Yes, there's a difference between hearing and listening. And I'm learning this now. Uh, being married, there's a difference between hearing and listening. <laughs> and I blame it on my ears. Really, I do. Sometimes I just don't hear what I should be hearing. Listening is a little bit different, though. See, hearing is, okay, there's auditory input. I, my ears are working or not working. Listening, though, is taking it to heart. There's a message that comes to my mind. I have to process it, think about it, and that results in action through the heart. And that's what Paul's saying the Gentiles will do with the gospel that they're going to receive it, take it into their heart, take it into their mind, and some will respond to it rightly. That's the difference. So think about this. Paul says the nations, God is working among the nations that there will be some who will hear it and respond to the gospel. They're going to hear the message about God. He's our creator. He, God made us. We're made in his image. And we've all rebelled against this God. And yet God has sent his son Jesus to save us from our sin. And we must respond to him in repentance and faith. And there will be some Gentiles, some among the nations, who will say, yes, I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to live for Christ. No more rebellion. No more living for self. I submit to King Jesus to be the king of my life today and all my days. That's an amazing promise. This is a motivation that will help a church stay on mission, that we can go and send people to the nations because there will be people who will listen. This, this will help us remember that, why did God save me? Why did I listen to the message? It wasn't anything special about me. God was gracious. He opened my ears, opened my mind, my heart to receive his good news, to understand that he is the king of kings. And I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I didn't do that. God worked that in me. And that's true for every believer. So, think about this. As the, as the light of the culture begins to grow dim and darker, why should we stand against evil and wrongdoing? Why? The answer is simple. We worship a God who saves this God has saved me, and he is ready to save you today when you turn from your sin and trust in him. Do you have ears to hear and to listen? That's the promise here. Jesus says in John chapter 10, 
John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that among the Jews and the Gentiles, all peoples, there's going to be one special called out people. That's the church, the people of God. They are the people who hear the voice of Jesus and obey. They respond. So perhaps God would even use this one verse this morning just to see that God has sent his salvation to the Gentiles and they will listen. Perhaps God would use this verse today to call you to go to the the nations or cause us as a church to give, help get people to the nations or we greater support the, the missionaries that are among the nations already. Where's the need? Can we meet that need? God's grace leads us to love others with the gospel of grace. There's a message that needs to be heard and shared so that people will listen and respond. Paul says it this way in Titus 2, verse 11, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's available. And this grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace changes the way we live. It motivates us to live rightly in a world in need of a Savior. Sharon James, she wrote the book, it just recently came out, it's called, Is Christianity Good for the World? It's a short read as you're interacting with family over the holidays and questions come up. Uh, she just works through some ways that Christianity has, a, has, a, has a demon, uh, demonstrated the kind of impact Christianity has had on Western culture. Things like human dignity, morality, values, virtues, to show that these things that we practice in Western culture are rooted in the Christian worldview. She says this about the gospel message. She says this, The glory of the Christian message is that however messed up our lives may be, forgiveness is offered as a gift of grace. That's a message worth sharing among all nations. And this hope that we have in Christ motivates us to stay faithful to whatever he would call us to do as a church and as individuals. Now, I want to give a quick note about verse 29. You may see in your Bibles that we go from verse 20. If you're using the ESV, we go to verse 28 and then to verse 30. Uh, You may have a different translation, uh, like the New American Standard or New King James, that includes verse 29. That's okay. I just want to talk about that for a moment. Some translations include verse 29 and some don't. The reason for that is it comes down to the manuscripts that were used to bring about this translation work. That's okay, and it's even in the ESV. There's a footnote there. We didn't forget about verse 29. It was simply chosen in the ESV to say, some older manuscripts don't have this in here, so we're not going to put it in the, in the main text, but we're noting it here for you. So that's, that's all that that is. I want you to know that the scriptures are infallible and without error in their original manuscripts, given to us in the Old and New Testaments, written in Hebrew and Greek. Now, most people can't read Hebrew or Greek, and that's okay. I'm working on it a little bit. 
I have to spell out the words and really think about it. It's, it's fascinating to, to study. I'm sure you're all very interested in, in the biblical Greek. Uh, here's what I want you to know most importantly. Uh, we believe that God's word is meant for all peoples, which means it has to be translated into all sorts of languages from Hebrew and Greek. And that sometimes presents some challenges of different languages and grammar. So simply put, the verse 29 is not here in this one, but it's in some others from coming down to manuscripts. Okay, that, that's all that that is. It doesn't change anything about the overall message of the gospel. It doesn't change the overall content of this, this particular account here. It simply says some Jews, they were not liking Paul's message. It says, we heard these words, the Jews departed, having much dispute among themselves. So just to give that in a way, I don't want anyone to be concerned or confused about that. It was just an observation recorded and, and put into a different manuscript over time. So, with that said, let's consider point number two. The church that stays on mission is motivated by God's grace. And secondly, we will maximize every obstacle as an opportunity for the gospel. I know that's a long point. I know there's lots of big words. But let's work, let's work together on this for a minute, okay? Uh, as a church that's going to stay on mission, we're going to maximize, that is, make the most out of obstacles Let's turn those into opportunities for the gospel. So here's a question I have. How do you respond to obstacles? How do you do respond to obstacles? Here's what I mean by obstacle. Something that impedes progress or achievement. If you're like me, you don't like obstacles. Uh, I drive a school bus, and maybe just that's that mindset of driving, and I see hazards on the road, I avoid them, go around them, don't like them. I want to avoid them at all costs. That, that's how I typically respond to obstacles. I don't like them, I want to go around them, you're messing up my whole plan. Paul experienced all kinds of obstacles. But in the sovereign hand of God, obstacles became opportunities for ministry for Paul. Here's how that happened. Uh, you, can note, you can note back, you can even look at verse uh, 16 of chapter 28. You can turn there if you want to, maybe a page. Uh, here's what happened when Paul got to Rome. Here's what Luke says. We came to Rome. Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So understand when Paul got to Rome, he's under house arrest. He can't leave his home and he's got a guard attached to him, chained to him at all times. He was allowed to live there, but not by himself. Here's how obstacles became opportunities for Paul. He's under house arrest, chained to a guard. This means he can't go anywhere, he can't do anything. And even if he could go anywhere or do anything, there's a Roman guard attached to him. So he, they're going to ensure he won't cause any more trouble for the Roman Empire. Paul experienced suffering throughout his life as a Christian and as a missionary. Shipwrecks, betrayal, all, those, all sorts of suffering. I want you to know, following Christ does not eliminate suffering, but Christ strengthens us through suffering for his glory and our good. That's what happens for Paul. So look what happened. Uh, Paul is verse 30. Paul lived there in his home. 
for two whole years at his own expense. That means he rented this home, and he welcomed all who came to him. So here's what happened, whether this was through the generous giving of churches or through his work as a tent maker. Luke doesn't go into the specifics, but he was able, he was provided for to have this home. And then Luke records that Paul's door was open. He welcomed all who came to him. Ready for a Greek word? Here we go. It's apodekomi is the word for welcome. It's used only by Luke, only in the book of Acts. And this word means to receive with hospitality and kindness. We want everyone to be welcomed as they come into our doors and gather with us for worship. With hospitality, kindness, be warmly received. And that's what Paul does here in his home. Uh, he, Paul says this in Romans chapter 15. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul, though he can't leave his home, though he can't go about life in town, he's able to open his doors and welcome in people into conversation, welcome into his home, as Christ has welcomed him into the family of God. That's true for us. We are only in God's family because of Christ. Christ has welcomed us in freely, and so we can be kind and hospitable to those around us, even people we might disagree with. That's okay. Paul did that. He's able to leverage his home, leverage his arrest, and maximize it as an opportunity to share the gospel with everyone who comes to his door. Now, for you and I, what, what does that mean for us? Well, we can practice good hospitality, for starters. But more importantly, I, I want us to realize that what Rome meant for evil in this imprisonment and house arrest God meant for good. God meant it for good. So here he's able to daily share the gospel with people. For us, we face obstacles in just life in a fallen world, in a, in a culture that is becoming less and less influenced by Christianity. We have to be aware of this, that we're going to face obstacles in the Christian life. But those obstacles are meant, they're purposed by God to place us in scenarios and positions to be on mission, to be faithful, to share the gospel with others. It's purposeful in God's good plan, even these obstacles. Paul was able to share the message with his Roman guards. Uh, we, we saw this when we looked at Philippians, when we studied that, Philippians 1. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He wrote this while he was in, under house arrest. There's guards who know about this. So I have, a, I have a little example from history. There's gonna be a picture come on the screen. Look at this. Um, it looks like, a, like somebody drew a nice little picture on the wall. If you've got toddlers, maybe you're thinking about the same. I recognize this. The picture on the left is the stone uh, etching and that they found in a Roman guardhouse in the area that belonged to the emperor, this kind of imperial palace. There was a guardhouse that was used for training and housing of guards, and somebody scratched this little picture in, and then the picture on the right is the, they removed the stone and, and cleared up. What is this picture? It's a picture of a soldier, and it's given a name there. It, it, you know, we're talking about Greek. That's Greek right down there. Uh, the, translated into Alexemenos, 
worships his God. All right, so there's a, this is a Roman guard building. Somebody, presumably a Roman guard, Roman soldier, is a worshiper of, look at that, a man positioned, crucified on a cross. In the adjacent room to this building where they found this image, there's another inscription that says, Alexamenos is faithful, or he, he is the faithful. So I want you just to note this for a moment. Without a doubt, Paul's time here in Rome was used absolutely by God to spread the gospel in Rome and throughout the Roman Empire so that even guards became aware of the message of Christianity and came to faith in Christ. God used Paul's imprisonment to bring this about. So think about, as a church, don't you feel the desire, the growing desire to walk in faithfulness to our God and to be useful in his hand for his plan, for his glory? That was Paul in prison bringing this about. Now, this picture, I want to note one more thing. These inscriptions and engravings were not praising Alex Eminos. Uh, they were making fun of him. They were mocking Christianity. That's the donkey's head on the top of that crucified person. Presumably Jesus Christ. Mocking what we hold to and believe in the gospel that Jesus became a man and was murdered on a tree that I might have my sins forgiven and they're mocking the message. So understand, we shouldn't be surprised that the world and the culture opposes Christ and his message. The gospel reveals this to be true, what we know in our hearts, that God's law is written on our conscience. We've all rebelled against him, our creator and true king, over all of life. We've, I've rejected him, we've rejected him and chosen to go our own way. My own sinful way leads to eternal death. All sin leads to eternal death. And God is absolutely just in all he does. Every rebel, every rebellion, every resistance to his kingship, his lordship, must go punished. His God is holy and righteous and he's good. He will not allow sin and evil to go unchecked. But God's way, God's way made through, made through Christ, God's son, born of a virgin, born fully God and fully man, made, crucified, to make the way for us to be forgiven and set free from sin. Christ buried in the tomb, crucified. His death took the penalty for our sin, my sin. And he was raised to life on the third day to give everlasting eternal life to all who repent, all who turn from their sin and trust in him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So when, we say, when I say here obstacles into opportunities, uh, let's be super clear. The message of the cross is so good when you believe it and receive it, the way God intends in Christ. But to those who reject the message, it's foolishness. It's mockery. Obstacles are going to come from that. Purposed by God for opportunities to further spread the message of the cross. So we will maximize every opportunity. What's an obstacle you are facing in your life right now? And what about us as a church? 
The reality is Western culture, our, our laws, our values are shaped and built upon the gospel and the Christian worldview. But today, many reject that truth, that worldview of, of the Christian gospel. In the gospel, we see humanity has inherent dignity and value at all ages of life, from the preborn to the elderly, because we're all made in God's image. The, in the gospel, we see the supreme value and virtue of self-sacrifice for the good of others, because we follow a crucified and risen king. So Paul's model, like we see here, he worked hard, he served, he was able to use every opportunity he could for the, place, for the cause of the gospel. Now, some of you work in jobs where the workplace culture is, is already against Christianity. I've had conversations. So what, what, would I, what would I encourage you to do in light of this text? Where Paul says I, he lived there two years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, and he's proclaiming the gospel. Well, I, I think we could take from Paul as a church and for you as an individual, be the best worker you can be. On time, honoring Christ in every way you work. And remember that as God has given you this job to provide for your family and to, to serve and bless the people of God to be on mission. So here's a challenge. Instead of a paycheck, what if you called it Great Commission Dollars? Uh, I've got to work on that. But in all, that's the point of this passage here. Paul worked hard on his own expense, and gospel opportunities came from it. And I want to encourage us as a church, in a culture that needs the gospel, we can leverage our employment for the gospel. Great Commission Dollars. Let's work on that. Uh, I have a quote from James Stalker. He was a, a pastor theologian in the 1800s. He says this, Paul's room became a fulcrum from which he moved the world. That he was able in his home, under house arrest, to influence Rome and the, the world at large with the gospel, the message of Christ. And he was in his home. So what would God have us to do this year, 2024, where coming, the year is ending, a new one is coming? How might God leverage us, our church, our jobs, our homes, our lives, for the cause of Christ and the Great Commission? How will God work through us to turn that obstacle into an open door for the gospel? We're going to pray to this end as a church. We want to have a genuine relationship with and influence among our neighbors, our schools, our families, for the sake of Christ. We want everyone to know from the moment they walk in, as they meet us, that we love you with the love of Christ. We are worshipers of God. And God has, we, every gift he's given us, we want to use for his glory. To see worshipers, the multiplication of worshipers to his wonderful, glorious name. So the church that stays on mission will maximize obstacles into opportunities for the gospel. Thirdly, third way, we will make much of Christ in his kingdom. That's verse 31. Paul, while he was under house arrest, this is what he gave himself to do. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What did Paul do? He proclaimed the kingdom of God. Paul was given to preaching. He was heralding this message of God. <clears throat> There's a true and living king. Each one of us is bent and twisted 
with sin. So that we want to be the king of our own hearts and our own lives. The little kingdom. Kingdom of one. And that's not how we were made to live. We are made and meant to live our lives under the one true king. That's God. And live rightly in his kingdom. That's what's best for us. And Paul is clear about this. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's crystal clear about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord, the King of Kings. He is God, the ruler of everyone and everything. Jesus is the God-man. He was born, taken on human form, human flesh, to rescue us from our sin. Jesus is God's appointed Savior, born and crucified and raised again to redeem us and give us life forever. And Paul does so with all boldness and without hindrance. So think about this for a moment. These are two words that uh, Luke uses to describe Paul's ministry here in Rome. Boldness and without hindrance. Boldness here means courage, freedom, and confidence. Paul was not physically free, but he was absolutely spiritually free. Free from the opinion of others, free to open the word of God and share it with all who came to him. Understand, there's a time and a place to be the one to start the conversation, to those difficult conversations that, about a topic or a sin that has to be addressed. Paul did that with the Jews earlier in this passage. He, he called them and said, hey, guys, we got to talk. I have to tell you about Jesus, and they rejected his message. But it's, there, there's a time for that. It's worth noting here, though, that Paul gave the majority of his time while in Rome to the people who came to him. Paul welcomed, and people responded. It's twofold responsibility here. He was bold. Paul is able to minister without hindrance. That is, he is free from impediment or prohibition. In other words, he was given fully to the work. He does not let other things take him off target or distract him from the central message, the gospel. There's time for preaching, time for teaching, instruction, and application from God's word to our lives. That's what Paul does. During this time in prison, he was able to write some letters to the churches, these epistles. He would write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And he would be visited by Tychicus, Onesimus, and Epaphroditus. And I put those names out there as, as we're going to read through the Bible. We're going to hear some of these names come up. That I, I want to put this out here to see how the Bible, the, the grand storyline of the Bible fits together. These epistles fit in with Paul's time here in prison. Paul is completely confident in the sovereignty of God. The power of God's word the gospel, and God's amazing grace. So this is what Paul says, his last letter, 2 Timothy, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Would you read that with me? But the word of God is not bound. Paul, yeah, in chains, and he would eventually be released. He would likely get to Spain. He would be preaching the gospel. He'd be arrested again and beheaded. 
But Luke ends this account here, I believe, because primarily Luke was not given to be Paul's biographer, but Luke was given to, to show how the message of the gospel goes to all nations. That's Luke's main focus here, and that's why I believe he ends it on this victorious note of the word of God, the kingdom of God, the teaching of Christ is going free, powerfully, among all peoples, with all boldness and without hindrance. And the question is, how will God use us as a church to carry on to the nations, like what Paul does here? that we can take God's word as our lives as individuals and us as a church. Let's take it with boldness and without hindrance in our hearts, in our families, in our church, and all peoples. Let's go. The word of God is not bound. So as believers, God has opened our eyes. God has called us by his grace to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, to love the kingdom of his son, We stay on mission as believers. And together as a church, when we keep the main thing, the main thing, the gospel. The most important truth about who we are and why we exist comes down to one thing. It's really one person. It's God. It's all about his kingdom, his glorious reign in our lives, and about his son, King Jesus Christ. So to summarize, we stay on mission for Christ. Here's how. We're motivated by the grace of God. We will maximize every obstacle as an opportunity for the gospel, and we will make much of Christ and his kingdom. There's one we want to praise, and it's Jesus. So here I have a a, a prayer, kind of application statement as we close. Lord, work through me to make an impact for Christ as I, I want you to fill in that sentence and pray as a church, how would God use us to impact all nations for Christ. Worship team, you can come and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we worship you today. We worship Christ today. Thank you so much for sending your son to save us from our sin, to save us and set us free forever. Lord, I pray you would use us, fill us with boldness, and give us every opportunity to bring your gospel to all peoples and all places. Let the truth of your word be settled and resolved in our hearts that we know what we believe. We know who Jesus is. We're committed to it. And as you transform us from the inside out by your grace, you would use us, leverage us, every resource, every person, every opportunity to make your great name known among all peoples because you are worthy to be worshiped. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.